you're always thinking of what am I going to do and, and how am I, you know, going to get through as a photographer? Well, here's an, another opportunity to find a whole new audience of people, hundreds of thousands of people who are interested in NFTs for the technology. But at the same time, you can also present to them, well, yes, you're supporting the technology, but you can also support this artist and this photographer and their vision. And that matching of technology and art or photography is really exciting. You just heard from Alejandro Cartagena. Alejandro is one of the leading photographers of his generation. We were speaking to him in his studio in Monterey, Mexico. Alejandro has produced some of the most important uh, photo books, uh, creative and impactful that have come out in recent years. He's collected in museums all over the world. Our conversation went so deep that we decided to do it in two parts. Uh, Alejandro's movement into the NFT space is nothing short of visionary and uh, is probably one of the most powerful things that's happened in the medium in a long time. Um, he uh, shares with us his journey, what he's been able to create there and the possibilities for uh, photography in the NFT space. Here's Alejandro. Alejandro, we are so uh, grateful and glad that you're with us here today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the invitation and for the opportunity to talk to your audience and to you. Uh, I've been enjoying our small snippets of conversations we've been having. Yeah, same here. Same here. I think uh, it's a great um, uh, luxury to be able to have a, a, a longer conversation than sometimes uh, people are allowed. And uh, and thanks for joining us. I, I'll start out, if you don't mind, with some background questions. I mean, um, I first, uh, I shared with you earlier, and we'll have this on YouTube, and we'll be able to add images and other information to the uh, talking points. But I became aware of you. I should have become aware of you sooner, but I became aware <laughs> of you in 2016 at Unseen mm. Photo Festival, where I was looking at uh, an Italian uh, at the book fair. I was at a, a, an Italian publisher that I like, and suddenly they said, this isn't our book, but you got to see it, and we have them. Mm -hmm. And so I'll hold it up. It's the Carpooler uh, book that you that you produced. Uh, yes. And it's just, it's one of my favorite books, and I have about a thousand books in my photo collection. <laughs> and when I saw it, you know, I'd already bought more books than I should have bought, but I bought it. And I'm so I know. I did. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, and I know you talk a lot about carpoolers because mm -hmm. it's the it's the uh, it's the project that's garnered probably the most attention over time. Yeah. And it's also I want to talk. I want to hear you speak about it because I think it is a an important pathway into the conversation about NFTs and other things. So mm -hmm. say a little bit uh, about how you as a photographer came to think of yourself as also a producer of photo books and a creator sure. of photo books. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I started in photography in 20, in 2004. Uh, and I, I had my life was based in the service industry. I, I worked in hotels and restaurants for about 10 years. Uh, I have a bachelor in leisure management. So nothing art related per se, visual art. Uh, I did go to uh, music school for, for some time, had a couple of bands uh, that I, I was not good at all. <laughs> so do not look for me <laughs> anywhere. Um, 
but it was it was a, a an interesting way to come to photography because with this background i had always been very project oriented like uh, I, I had a philosophy of work where things have a, a start and an ending and there's things to do to make things happen. So right. with that philosophy, I came into photography um, by coincidence uh, at the time. In retrospect, I see photography being one of my places, my safe places. I. I was born in Dominican Republic, then moved to Mexico, and it was an abrupt change of life, of culture, of everything, friends, family. And for me, photography was that place to go back to feel safe. So mm -hmm. my the photo albums in my parents' house was some a place I would go very, very often. And uh, it, it surely it stuck. It was there in the background. Uh, and when I rediscovered or discovered photography at, at a workshop, uh, it was it was a workshop about uh, the, and the analysis of images uh, was the workshop. It wasn't even about photography per se. It was how do you analyze photography from a political point of view, from a, a aesthetic point of view, from a historical point of view, from an economical point of view. So it was literally a, a, a deconstruction of the image to understand all the different messages that a, a photographic image can contain. So it was a weird introduction. It wasn't like, oh, I wanna go take pictures and cap. No, no, it was like, what does photography mean? What does an image mean? And you came in, you came into the medium through your head as yes, much as through your eyes. Yeah, exactly. or through a camera, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that led me to work at a photography center, a photography museum uh for five years as a digitizer of the archive there so my job was from 9 to 6 p.m every day scan other people's works uh, works from the 1880s up to the 2000s so again another weird upbringing of how to do photography was analyzing and scanning other people's works uh taking care of the photographic object so that it can be preserved for historical purposes, for docu you know, documentary purposes. So the, the sensation of what a photograph means was embedded in those first five years of, my, of being a practitioner. And my work is very much uh, about that. It's about history, it's about place, it's about... Uh, the idea of the photographic object or the image itself. If you think about it, I was digitizing objects so that we can see the image, not the object, because the objects are too fragile. And so what was being valued was the image so that other people can understand the object. So right. there were many seeds planted in, through in those first five years of, of my upbringing as a photographer. And, and I, there was another instance there uh, that really marked me, and it was the scanning of a whole photographer's uh, work. Uh, Eugenio Spinovarros, he was a photographer from Puebla, then moved to Monterey. He had uh, a, um, a camera company. He built four by five cameras, eight by 10 cameras. 
uh, five by seven cameras. He built a, a, a amplifiers. Is that how you call it? Um, I, I, enlargers. Enlargers. Enlarger, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In Spanish, we call it amplificadora, but yeah. yes, enlargers. Um, so he was this entrepreneur of Mexican photography. He uh, he was doing great things at a very young age. He was an, uh, a photo book editor of uh, a book called A Hundred Years of Independence of Mexico. Uh, and he was the editor for this amazing uh, body of work. So I got to scan his whole body of work. That was also something that I think really marked me because it made me understand how things align in your career as a photographer. Things that you do at the beginning will affect what you do in the middle of your career and it'll affect what you do at the end of your career. So this scope of, uh, or I call it the narrative arc for me. It's mm -hmm. all the things that I'm doing are interconnected in some way because there is gonna be a story at the end. You know, there will be a way to tell a very big story that is that crosses maybe 30, 40 years of work. I so, love that. I love that. It's uh, what yeah. you're what I'm getting from what you're saying is that you you see your life and your work inside of photography as a as a tapestry that you're weaving. Mm -hmm. That will be each each thread uh, from the first one to, to the last one will come together, will be cohesive. Yes. And we'll have at the end of the at the end of the day a, a narrative arc, as you say, and a yes. story that's being told. I yes, think that's yes. a very powerful way to uh, think of your your place in the medium. And yeah, I, and 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 it's you know it it soothes soothes soothes. I'm sorry, my my English goes away. It's soothing. Yeah, it's it's soothing in the in the sense that I'm I I can free myself to do whatever I want and then try to understand how it's going to be weaved into uh, into everything that has been done. And it permits me also to go to very crazy places uh, <laughs> because, you know, adult pattern, you already know if you know the pattern from the beginning, then you don't need to see the whole, you know, tapestry. You already know what's coming because there is a very specific pattern. But to, to that analogy, my pattern is consistent and then it's inconsistent and then it's consistent. And I think that's very exciting, you know, because it, it talks about the uncertainty of being an artist and the, and the vulnerability of self. You know, we don't know. We, we are not the same people every year. We change. We adapt. Right. And, you know, I've, I've passed through several hurdles, personal hurdles in my life that have transformed me completely. I am not the same person I was five years ago. Uh, I divorced. Uh, I went through, I think, the worst time of my life, depression. And now I'm reconstructed and I feel like a new person. Uh, and that period of darkness is there on that tapestry. And it, it, it's beautiful that it's there because it shows that we are not, life is not certain and things can change. And as an artist, you have to let yourself be vulnerable and show your vulnerability. And I think that is a very, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult place to be at, but it's also an exciting 
place to be in retrospect. Uh, when, when you're there in the hole, in the dark place, it, I, it's not a good place and you need help. I was in therapy for five, psychoanalysis for five years. And that was my, you know, my, my lifeline to hang right. on very, very hard to, to life and, and to myself. Uh, but it, it really makes you understand these vulnerable moments that nothing's certain and that you can change and that you can experiment and that you can evolve. So anyway, I, I'm blabbling. I'm going in no, many directions. I, I, quite, but, no, quite the contrary. Uh, quite the contrary, Alejandro. What I'm getting from this, and, and, and thank you, you know, so few of us, including myself, are, are willing uh, often enough uh, to uh, admit our vulnerability and to and to demonstrate our vulnerability and yet that's probably the some of the greatest uh, reserves that we have is those passages those dark parts of the tapestry that we we struggle to come through yeah. sometimes it's five weeks five months five years mm -hmm. but we but we labor to come through it and then and then we're transformed in coming through it and um if i were to try to tie together you know your journey that you've described which you've laid out so beautifully um I, I love that, and I'm in that tradition too of photographers who come into photography without a degree in photography. And that's interesting to me always that it's one of those mediums of expression that, from its very beginning, has yeah. been really wide open to amateurs, you know, yes. <laughs> and, and has brought many of the great uh, uh, work that's been done. Uh, uh, my, my friend uh, Stephen Shore, who's head of the photography department at Bard. He, he dropped out of high school to hang out with Andy Warhol at the factory. That was <laughs> yes. his, that was his school, but you know, it wasn't, uh, he was being schooled, but he was teaching himself not, yes. and that's not to take anything. I have friends who, 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 who have minted their MFA at <laughs> Yale and other very fine schools. And I think the school that I think that training is wonderful too, For sure. and not taking anything away from it, but it's just great that we are part of a medium that allows that. And what I heard was you brought discipline, an understanding of process. Mm -hmm. You had those first several years where you were learning about the power of archive. Mm -hmm. You had that early exposure to the analysis of photography of, and of the image. Uh, uh, not that you, I assume you did have a camera at some point, but yes, I know I you. I yes. know you did because I yes. I see the work. But 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 that you were coming at it uh, through those three uh, with those three uh, very powerful tools, and mm -hmm. I think that is the kind of thing that resulted because at the time I was very aware of some very wonderful books that have been self published, but I'd never seen anyone self publish a book. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, I've got to lift up my game. This uh, this Carpooler's book is just stunning. I had never seen a Thank book you. quite like it, and it stands alone. Speak about Carpoolers a little bit and where in that continuum you got to where you said, I don't think it was your first photo book. Uh, no. Maybe I'm wrong. But, but where did you say, well, okay, I understand archive. I love archive. I'm going to see how my projects fit into that and, oh, photo books is a path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, before I get to that, uh, there's uh, when, when, uh, when you were talking about how this medium permits amateurs and non native photographic people to actually, you know, del delve in and experiment with the medium. I think the most important thing in photography is to have something to say. If you have something to say, that's all you need. You know, right. the camera is made 
to do perfect things. But it doesn't mean anything if you know how to do a perfect thing, if you don't have anything to say with that. And it's just an empty shell. And it's just the demonstration that you know how to expose, how to compose. But if you don't have anything in the background, it falls flat. And, and it, it's like, it's just can candy and not actually thoughtful uh, exploration of the self and of whoever is looking at your image. Just wanted to put no, that out it's there. well said. I mean, if you're if the if the work is not if it's eye candy alone and there's not uh, an engagement with a human condition or mm -hmm. your condition or some mm -hmm. larger aim or purpose, it will fall flat. It does fall flat. Yeah, yeah. 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 So okay. So that being said, I'll I'll talk about um, carpoolers, and it's a it's a great opportunity to understand the way that I've, uh, like that body of work has made me understand how I grew up with photography. And I see myself in two very, very distinct moments. First, I was a, a project photographer where I would have an idea and then I would go out into the field and document. And for me, that was the end game. Think and go and do the work. And then when I started doing photo books, I understood that that was not the end game. It was there's meaning being built constantly in photography. I thought that it was in the thinking and then photographing. That was it. That was all the meaning that the, the photography photographer could build. But when I started like really getting into photo books, I understood that there are several parts of the meaning that that get constructed over time. You think that's one construction you do. That's another construction. And then you edit and the edit is part or maybe the largest the part, largest maybe. part yeah. of the meaning yeah. because, and, and, you know, and that is a lot of my theory behind photo books is when does meaning get fixed in photography? Is it when you edit or is it when you photograph? That is a lot of what my books are about is that constant experimentation as to here are the individual images, but what happens when you confront this image with this other image? Does that, does that meaning stay the same? Does it fluctuate? Does it go somewhere else? Can, what can I construct for a third time through the edit, mm -hmm. right? You construct right. in your mind, you construct right. while you photograph, and right. then you construct when you sequence and edit a, a, a book. Right. So carpoolers was the, a big headache in my career because it's such a simple body of work that very soon it can get very boring right. and there's right. nothing else to do. Right. So right. It, it maybe took me like a year to edit and sequence that book. Uh, I did it with uh, my editor for the past 10 years, Fernando Gallegos, and now uh, a co-founder with me in fellowship. Right. Uh, and Fernando and I would like experiment uh, edits and, and designs to see how we can make the work feel alive hmm. in a in a in something that doesn't have too much movement. It does have a little bit of movement, the photo book, but mainly it's static. So we went through many iterations of of the book. We did maybe possibly 10, 15 maquettes 
which uh, by the way are now sitting in the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. They they just acquired 80 maquettes of my work. Oh, wonderful. For their permanent Congratulations. collection. Congratulations. So, <laughs> to them and to you. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's, it was amazing. And it, it was in a conversation like this with their curators that, you know, I emphasize so much the importance of maquettes. And that's like literally my thinking process and solving problems for a body of work that needs to speak in the medium of photo book which right. is not to say the medium of the wall. It's a right. whole different how you how you fix and how you make it work. So the fo the Carpooler's photo book was a big problem and we would do experiments. We would cut the images from top to bottom. We would sequence uh, with very uh, specific uh, traits of color, uh, of, of form, of, uh, of content. And we were always hitting the wall. Like it was like, it's not working. It's not working. And then uh, Fernando came up with one idea of, you know, you have the double spread uh -huh. and the typical way to think of a double spread is you have left page, right page, you put uh -huh. an image on one side and one side. And he said, well, why don't we emulate what was going on when you were taking the photographs? which is three lanes and you're sometimes in the middle lane photographing, but your peripheric view, you're looking at the other two lanes. Right. So let's put the center lane in the center of the book. Right. And, and leave half of the image on the right and half of the limit image on the left. And it just poof. immediate solution. It, it, feels, like, it feels inevitable, right? It was Once like, you, yeah. what? <laughs> Movement mm. in the book. Just by the placement mm -hmm. of the image on the page, because by having these half images, there's a tension, uh, an immediate tension of there's something more going forward. There's something there's uh, that came before, right? You have your moment of peace, visual peace with the center image, and it's not even peace because you have the gutter and it's cutting the image. So that visual tension created the movement and the spark to move forward with the book. Well, so, I'm so glad to hear that story. I, 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 and, and it's such a great lesson that you're giving to anybody who uh, wants to uh, create a photo book. Uh, and I, we've been publishing books for 10 years now. And early on, I learned that the designers want to amp up the design and the photographers want to have too many pictures. And so <laughs> it's sort of like you, you have to get everybody together. And the key is what you just pointed to is that if you're going to have, and it's wonderful to have some design elements that are specific to the project mm -hmm. that support. And as you say, in your case, with a kind of a typology it's not a typology exactly mm -hmm. but it can if you just put 50 of those one after the other it can get boring you can say well okay i'm gonna put this down for a while and that's not <laughs> the experience you want right you yeah. want the experience to be i'm picking this up and i cannot wait i just want to see everything that's in it yes and so that energizing and that dynamism that you brought and this is the key i think this is what you're saying straight me out if I'm wrong, okay, was the linchpin was that when you found a design element that wasn't just pasted on, it grew out of the work experience itself. Exactly. It, it, it's, we call it here in the studio, you sacrifice the individual images 
for the sake of the greater good or, or of the story. It, it's almost like a good photo book is looking of how to make the works be servant to the physical book and to the story itself. If, if there's not a little bit of that, it's just complacent to the form and just putting the images there and it just becomes a book of images. It's mm -hmm. not per se a photo book with a language of itself that you cannot copy paste and take to another book because it's inherent to that body of work, to that scale and that physicality of that book. So when you get there, you understand, okay, this is something that cannot be replicated with another book, with another body of work, because it works for this. It makes sense for this particular thing that we're doing here. It grows out of the DNA of this particular yes. thing. Yep, totally. Exactly. And it shows in the book. And I, 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 I don't know, have you done a second or third edition of the book yet? Oh, so, so here's the, the beautiful thing of carpoolers because I self-published it. And the first, uh, I, I don't call them editions. It's more the first version of the book okay. was so successful. I, I sold it. I sold out a thousand copies in three months, never had published self-published the book. Uh, it, it, it was an overwhelming experience and, and a beautiful thing. Uh, and I thought, okay, that's it. I'm not going to do anything else, <laughs> but here's, and here's the beauty, the beauty of, doing your own photo book and taking time to do a photo book. There were many things that happened in those 10, 15 maquettes that we had done that were beautiful ideas, but we weren't mature enough, both Fernando and myself, to understand how to, to resolve them. They were great ideas, but we didn't know, we, we didn't have the experience to, to, pull, them, to pull them off. So there's what you have there is the second version of the book. Mm. And what you see there are some of the ideas that we didn't know how to use in the first book because mm. we weren't there and the, our headspace wasn't there. So the way that that book starts, it starts with something that in the first book, it, you only get there until the middle. That second version is it starts from the middle and then it goes into mm. the book. And mm, what cool. is that middle part? It's me driving in the back of these trucks and photographing as if I were the workers. So that was something that was really important of the project in that, yes, I'm photographing these workers going to work, but I'm also going to photograph the experience of going to work that way. So the book comes and it, it's looking at them and, and becoming them so that we can get both sides of that experience. Yeah. So, so this second version starts with that. It's, it's a blurred image. You don't, you don't know what you're seeing, but what you're seeing is the bottom of bridges when they're going down, like, down the highway and they go underneath an overpass. You're getting their view. Exactly. Yeah. So the book starts that way and then you get to them and you see them. Um, and the third iteration uh, of, of, uh, of the book is a little bit more of a, it, I thought it was going to be the last uh, version that I was going to do. And it includes some of the, um, uh, when you go to press, you know how they put in the paper to test the, the, the ink and they don't throw away the paper. They just put it back in to clean the rolls. Right, uh, right, right. 
And so I rescued all that material. Mm. So they're, they're unintended collages of carpoolers. So that third iteration of the book is very much of like every double spread is a landscape. You have the combination of skies, bridges, the, the, the photographs. There's a very little white space in, 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 in the book. So they're basically like visual collages of the book. And getting towards the end, then they literally collage onto themselves. And it becomes oh, yeah. like black, like you go into nothing. And then this fourth, fourth iteration that I just published last year, uh, I go back to the first uh, version of the book and pick up one of the one of the things that we couldn't find how to solve in the book, and we finally found the, the like the answer of how to solve that mm. idea that we had almost ten years ago. Wow. So it it's it's been a beautiful journey because it's it's again it's stating through this body of work I'm vulnerable and I can change. And mm. here are four iterations of the same body of work in each have their own value, but they're telling you I'm insecure and I don't know exactly, I, I don't have certainty in life and I can change from one year to the other. And the book and the body of work is showing that over and over, over again. But every time you get a new feeling of things that I was thinking of and Fernando and I were thinking of while doing the, the, the work. That is so fantastic. I have read some about your work and I, uh, but this is so great to get to hear how you approach conceptually what it is to make a book and then make the book and then make the book. And mm -hmm. each book is different. It's evolving yeah. over time with, uh, uh, Alexi, who's one of the producers of the show you've met. Uh, we went uh, recently to see the Jasper Johns, uh, mm -hmm. exhibition at the Whitney. And uh, I, I came into photography through drawing and painting, and uh, he's been a huge, uh, uh, important influence. Uh, I, I, it wouldn't be, I mean, uh, I idolize the artist. I just, uh, not necessarily the individual, what he's done with his art. And mm -hmm. it's very similar to what you do. He will take a theme or a body of work and he'll express it as a drawing, as a painting, as a, uh, as an etching, mm -hmm. and he'll return to it and he will just iterate and reiterate. And there's a, there's another great artist that I, I, I think of when you describe how you're approaching that's Walt Whitman, mm. Walt Whitman's famous, uh, po long poem, uh, leaves of grass, when you speak about leaves of grass, you have to say, well, which version? Because uh -huh. he kept writing it and rewriting it until he finally died. That was when he stopped rewriting it. I don't know. <laughs> there are a dozen different versions of leaves of grass wow. because he he kept he kept growing. As mm -hmm. That's what you're pointing to. I keep growing and there's something here for me that I can still say. And um, I think it's also a perfect uh, bridge to talk about NFTs and mm -hmm. your your journey uh, and interestingly, carpoolers became that uh, vehicle. Uh, yeah. No, no pun intended. <laughs> it, became that pick, it became that little pickup truck that you yes. <laughs> that you took over into the NFT space. And yeah. uh, we'll talk uh, more about it. But to speak about that. How did sure. how did the, your discovery of NFTs as a possibility? And it's mm -hmm. obvious that it goes all the way back to your entry into photography is primarily the image prints yes. too. love prints respect them 
they're very important. Not in, NFTs does nothing to diminish the beauty and the not at all. importance of the original document. And at the same time, you were open to considering photography uh, in a larger, this is an image sense. So speak, yes. speak about that journey. Sure. Um, so yeah, to, to, to accentuate that, uh, you know, my seed of what the value of an NFT is and what it can do came from that archive moment when, you know, it was the objects are fragile, but they're, the value is in the content of the image and we can share that through digital images. So that I think was the spark for me and one of many philosophical backings of what, wow, okay, let me try this out. I think this makes sense for photography. And I came into NFTs back in October, 2020. I had a, a friend that worked at WeTransfer, a curator. He invited, he presented me with the team at Foundation, which is one of the, the biggest platforms of NFTs right now. And back then we were five, six artists on the platform. And they, th they said, oh, we're doing this thing. It's NFTs. And I'm like, okay, sure. I'll, 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 I'll put three of the carpoolers I went to my like inventory and I blocked off the edition of 10 uh, prints from that uh, and, and, and the three author proofs. And I said, okay, this is, this, these are going to be NFTs. I'm not going to sell these. And, and I put them on the platform and nothing happened. <laughs> uh, it was in the middle of COVID. Uh, to be honest, I, it was not a good time. I had no work, um, was at home all day doing nothing. So I wasn't, you know, too enthusiastic about anything. Um, so I just let that die. And, and then in, I think it was January of 2021, uh, I was, you know, spending too much time on the screen looking at TikTok, and some people started talking about NFTs, like I've heard about this before, you know, <laughs> and, and 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 I didn't do like it didn't really that was it. And then uh, February, then things got really serious and people were talking about it all the time and and the possibilities of it. And then they said and foundation is a great place. I'm like, what foundation of like I, I like those are the guys I was working with like yeah. last year. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I reached out to them and like, hey, you remember me? <laughs> uh, and they're like, yeah, we remember you, but you got to get to the back of the line and, and find yourself an invitation mm -hmm, to come mm -hmm. to the platform. So, you know, I did the whole process and, you know, it was, it was a moment to kind of think, okay, in the, the, the bubbling of it, uh, I didn't understand what the PFPs were. I didn't understand anything of like the people thing for me, it was photography mm -hmm. right from the start. Because mm -hmm. that's how I mm -hmm. understood. Because when I, I, I first enc encountered Foundation, it was like, we're going to sell photographs. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't, mm -hmm. they, they didn't tell me about the philosophy of NFTs, anything. Mm -hmm. It was, mm -hmm. let's sell photographs mm -hmm. as digital images. That was mm -hmm. it. So right. that was my mindset. And, uh, and when I came back in February, it was like, okay, there's something interesting here. I started to see. Uh, at that moment, there was a lot of clubhouses and people were talking mm -hmm. about it. Uh, I felt completely separate from it because it was just talking about like what we call hyping images, the images right. that 
you know, didn't really resonate with me, but it was okay. You know, people are excited about collecting photography. I'm like, right. okay, okay, that's interesting because coming from the museum, coming from the gallery world and, and exhibiting a lot, we do so much effort to, to bring people to try to collect our work. I mean, right. I've spent twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 in prints and, and framing for a solo show where I sell one piece. Right. right. So I'm thinking, wait a minute, it, the, the numbers here, it's the digital image. I've already done the image and it's literally it, it, the, the amount of time invested in doing a solo exhibition and what I'm going to have to do for an NFT. There's like, oh, my God, like there's an opportunity here for right. photography. Right. right. Um, and so that that was a thought that was there. And then I really wanted to like understand what the NFT was and what it meant for photography. And there's a lot of there was a lot of negative negativity like around NFTs. And I'm like, okay, I need to really understand and get my shit together because there's going to be so many voices. Yeah, uh, that, a lot of noise, a lot, a lot of, noise. of noise. And you really need to understand what you're doing because I'm, you know, like, like, I want to know what I'm doing. I don't right. want to jump into stuff and not understand. Like I did when I was a project photographer, like my right. practice was about reading, understanding, writing about photography so that I could do my thing. It's when that said, discipline. It's that discipline yeah. you started out with uh, exactly. in our conversation today. You brought, yeah. you wanted to bring a discipline to it so you would know what the process was exactly. uh, and be in and have integrity inside of that process. Exactly. And, and same happened with the photo book uh, stage of my life. I, I have like, I don't know, like 2000 photo books in my library some are for, you know, uh, pleasure, but most of them are for an analysis of how does this thing work? Why mm -hmm. does this book, this square book make me feel this way? How does the page relate to the image, et cetera, et cetera. So I went and I put the same energy and discipline into the NFTs, started reading about, uh, digital art, started reading about the technology, um, and then, you know, I came up to uh, um, a text by Mackenzie Work that for me was like the tipping point that made me say, okay, here is an opportunity of how uh, my work can be seen as NFTs. And it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful piece of writing called My Collectible Ass. Yeah, I recommend oh, I'll that. have to try that out. <laughs> Please do read that. It's an e-flux. And there she talks about how a digital art can be the the way that you know art is appreciated into the future because she talks that art in the 21st century is very much about information about the artwork that sometimes the artwork is just an excuse and it, it is the information surrounding the artwork what really values the image itself and the other thing that she she argues is that there are very few digital objects that command circulation. You know, you can take a photograph and put it in the Internet. But how many of those images that are put in the Internet really become viral and seen by many people? It's very few. And into, and, and that there is something about that that has value. 
So those images that circulate must be commanding cultural and monetary value amongst the people that are being, you know, people that are sharing that image. So for me, that clicked with carpoolers. Carpoolers was seen first as a digital image before it was a print or even a book. It was, it was shown in um, The Guardian in the UK as a digital image with text. That was the first iteration of that body of work. And then it was then seen in a contest, the Sony Awards, and it was also just an image. That's how people were appreciating it. And that was 10 years ago. And from that time to now, that the Carpooler's work has gone viral many times and it's been shared hundreds of thousands of times. So, in, in fact, in fact, sorry to interrupt. I just want yeah. to say, in fact, uh, uh, fashion and ads, you did a wonderful yes. Twitter post about it showing that the Carpooler's gestalt yeah. has now <laughs> influenced how, how branders are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all over the place. And, and you know, it, it is what it is. And, yeah. uh, but for me, it was like, okay, Carpoolers has circulated as a digital image for up to for nine years, that was last year. And I've never been paid for that circulation value that I've created. I've never been paid for that appreciation of art that people have had while looking at my work. So maybe the NFT experiment is to almost think of a retroactive pay of all that circulation value that my images have harnessed over 10 years of circulation. That was my philosophical premise to right. get into NFTs. Right. Um, and so I put the work out on, on foundation again. Uh, I put three images uh, onto the platform and sure enough, nothing happened. <laughs> it went, it fell flat on its face. Uh, people, you know, I, I kept going to clubhouses, telling people about them, telling my story, nothing, nothing. What, what month was that last year? That was March, April, March and April of last year. Uh -huh. Um, and, and so, okay. And that, you know, create, creates frustration because you have an expectation and you see beautiful landscapes being sold for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. You see postcards being sold and you're like, wait a minute, like I have, you know, <laughs> at that precise moment, and this is, this is a lesson to learn. I mean, I, at that precise moment, I was nominated for the Doce Bors uh, photography prize, huge which, is, award. Huge, which is a huge, huge award. Yeah. And I'm in the NFT space and nobody's looking at me. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, Oh shit. That was a wake up call of, how educated, how educated that space is, right? Yeah. Uh, how educated that space, but also a personal wake up call. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you're nothing, you know, photography is such a small niche yeah. and we're just, you know, we're the, the circulation of our work between specialists is, is very narrow. Mm -hmm. Our crowd of people that actually know about photography and history of photography is so small. Mm. And, and it was like, oh boy, like it was, it was, it was not easy. I got really frustrated. Um, I felt like this was all bullshit and sorry for my French. Uh, and why weren't people looking at my work or considering my work? Uh, and 
and that was that was a really good wake up call to hey this isn't easy this you have to understand what you're doing to actually have it make sense so i thought i had gotten to the place where it was going to make sense and i was not at all i i had no idea of the rabbit hole that was behind the idea of nfts the philosophy of the ecosystem the philosophy of the community the philosophy of the sharing nature of nfts the the monetary value of it i had to start again it's a whole new dna isn't it's it it's a whole new dna and so okay let's let's start again let's let's start engaging with the people there let's start let's start you know asking questions knocking on doors and you know i started learning about dows i started learning about how you know the metrics of nfts and why that's important i started learning about metadata and why that's important i started learning about the different uh, uh like platforms that exist in nfts i ended up doing nfts in different uh coins uh, i did stuff in in tezos i i did stuff in matic i did stuff in solana like i started like experimenting so that hopefully when the time came for me to like actually sell something i had something to give to the community i had right. something to like say okay i i understand what's happening here and i can be a part of this and it was it was frustration learning frustration learning that was the process for about 3 months and then in june uh we cut a lucky strike and somebody was interested in in the carpoolers oh and another like interesting thing was that foundation at that time when i was talking to them they're like you know just put three pieces on on the platform don't do anything else like that's wait until something sells i'm like ah there was something that didn't feel right because it's a body of work it's right, not right it's, it's an not, archive yeah yeah it's not three pieces it's like if people have the opportunity to see the whole work then they'll understand that it wasn't just a lucky shot right. this is a project right. so at that moment uh, foundation didn't have anything like that they didn't have collections it was like just individual pieces uh, and a potpourri of stuff so i said okay this is my commitment this is what i think my work is and how it will give meaning in the nft space so i made an investment and like if i was going to do a solo exhibition and i minted like 15 20 pieces at the same time i spent like i don't know like $6000 and sure enough when people started to see that it's like oh there's a whole collection here there's right. a whole project and off the bat i sold five pieces <laughs> of the collection to one of the top collectors in the nft space and you know the rest is history it became that was know, in uh, july august of last year that was year? in july june yeah. july yeah. and yeah. in one week everything sold out but it it sold out because of you know 8 months of experiments <laughs> and frustrations you know it it didn't happen overnight it was knowing uh, how to be in the nft space and it was 
and you know it was the first collection on foundation and now that's part of how the the platform works they only do collections now you know because and it was this inception of you for people to understand photography in that platform it's about how do you make a cohesive body of work how do you do something so that people understand that there's proof of work that you've done right, something right. to prove your point conceptually points. execution wise exactly. and uh that's you know the arc of that story is just a wonderful thread i know there's so many threads in your tapestry but that one is amazing and it, it's it loops back for me i'm connecting it to things you said earlier in our conversation mm -hmm. discipline Mm -hmm. um uh valuing uh in experimental ways what a particular expression of this medium you love can be exactly. valuing the image as well and its content as well as the objectness of it yes um and it's just such a great art story it's a great <laughs> human story and in a few and really the the thing about the nft world is time is so compressed right yes. uh, a month is a is a is a is a decade you it know is. a week <laughs> is a year and, yeah. and as you were describing that i was asking you well when did that happen and when did that happen so so really from that that october uh dipping yeah. your toe in until success in july was less than a year right yeah but and that was like a decade i know but it was like a decade uh it was maybe yeah. more than a decade in the nft space but mm -hmm. what i found also beautiful about that and i'm going to ask you if you would to say a little bit more about it was that through that frustrate and i love the way you put it frustration and then let me learn more frustration let me try more mm -hmm. frustration let me experiment more uh, through that, you ended up by by June, July, you were you had already become a pioneer mm -hmm. in in some ways. You were pointing the way for foundation. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, you need to <laughs> widen, you know, your scope of view here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, when did you realize you were a pioneer in the space? And I, what was that process like? And then when did because you you have become, I mean, I know you know this. I'm not saying it to embarrass you, but you have become, <laughs> you know, you are a leading light now among serious uh, people that are serious about the nft mm -hmm. uh, space is an important uh new uh pathway of expression for yeah. photography kim beale yeah uh, who we who was our first person to interview pointed to you mm -hmm. uh she said you know i just had she, she i think she's been in it She's been in it for three decades, i.e. <laughs> four months now. Uh, but she said, you know, I can't, I was just, it wasn't my thing. And then I was talking to Alejandro and he said, well, if you're not seeing what you want in the space, then it's up exactly. to you to put it there. Yeah. So when, and now you've got, how many DAOs are, have you created <laughs> now? At least three that I'm aware of, maybe more, yeah. but, but you, but you are a pioneer and a leader in this space. So mm. when did that light bulb go off for you that you could, you, that was a role that you, you could play and that you wanted to play? For sure. Uh, it, it actually starts here in this studio uh, with Fernando uh, Gallegos, this, uh, my editor, when we were, when I started in the NFT space, in October, I told everybody in the studio, hey, guys, we're going to start doing this thing. Uh, and it's a great opportunity, but I don't know exactly what it is. And from that moment up to June, July, when things like picked up, we were philosophizing every single day conversations, four or five hour conversations in the space about 
what does photography mean when this is now available? What have been what have we been fixating on for all these 180 years in photography? And what does this bring? What what does what dilemma does NFTs bring to the meaning of photography, to the physicality of photography, to the book in the in, in photography? What does it shift? What is what is opening up? And uh, honestly, uh, Bill, that was the inception of everything that is happening right now. Found a fellowship, Obscura, Raw DAO, Untitled DAO, all those things come out from conversing for hours and hours and questioning what will this mean for the future of photography. So it's very much about thoughtful considerations of what we do as photographers. And, you know, the main question is, where does value sit in photography? You know, if it does it sit in the physical print because it's physical or it's because you can see the image that has content and it is the content that we think about, not the physicality of the book. Uh, I, I mean, how many books do we have of the theory of the physical print? How many books do we have about that? How many, how much advancement has photography had from thinking of the physical print of the image? There's not a lot. There's a few of them, but it's a technical thought process and a, and a technical understanding of it. It's not how conceptually it brings another layer to the meaning of photography. So that is, that is, I think, the main question here. Have we been fetishizing the physical print? Because we needed to emulate art, because that's how we found value as photographers, right? And, and this is the opportunity to ask the question, well, the image itself is what we all talk about, you know? This is where we have the conversations. It's around the image. It's around the content of the image. So that, and like you said, nobody was talking about that. And we needed to build structures and organizations where we can freely talk about those things and build and continue to build what has already been done. There was, uh, I remember in like March, April with, with Fernando and the conversations that I was having with people, I was telling them photography was reborn in NFTs. It's almost like we went back to the 1800s where what was popular in photography at that time? Going to distant places, photographing exotic lands, exotic people, bringing them back to Europe and selling them as postcards. That's exactly what happened in photography and NFTs back in, in January, February, March. And I said, I, we need to speed up time so that we're back in the 21st century in photography as NFTs. And that's all that I've been doing, building things so that both the collectors understand that photography has a hundred and something years of history. And we've thought of many things and we've made many mistakes and we have to acknowledge that time that has passed in photography and the analysis that we've had of those images and the thoughts that have happened around those images. And again, the mistakes that we did with creating those images in the past, 
let's not do that again. How do we forward time to the present in NFTs to continue the conversation and, and expand it? Like, let's let, there's going to be a very hard phase and, and we're still in it uh, to put up to date the, the idea of NFTs and photography and the history of photography. But there are little sparks of the future of what this technology can help photographers do that you cannot do in print and that you cannot do in photo books. That is also very present in all the initiatives that I'm, I'm working on is, okay, what else can we do that we have not done in the previous uh, years, in the previous experimentations that we can now do with NFTs? So like, uh, like the, our latest uh, iteration of, uh, of that experiment is we just put together uh, the Emergency uh, Reporting Commission, which is reporting through NFTs a conflict. In this case, it's the Ukraine-Russia war. And we have uh, a photographer, a Magnum photographer, working, documenting in the front lines. And those images with free of media, they're being, he's working as a freelancer, and we're helping him find a platform to sell that work. And 100% of those proceeds go to help him be free to do what he wants to do and document the way that he wants to, not to fulfill the, you know, the, the rhetoric of a newspaper or a magazine. No, this is his vision of the world in front of him. So this is the power of NFTs to help fund the creation of very important work to tell the story of our world today, right? So that is something that excites me. You know, it's not about just the selling. It's not about making money. It's how do we use this technology to enable photographers to do stuff that has gotten comp more and more complicated to do? You know, uh, newspapers aren't paying that much. Magazines aren't paying that much. Uh, you're always thinking of what am I going to do and, and how am I, you know, going to get through as a photographer? Well, here's an, another opportunity to find a whole new audience of people, hundreds of thousands of people who are interested in NFTs for the technology. But at the same time, you can also present to them, well, yes, you're supporting the technology, but you can also support this artist and this photographer and their vision. And that matching of technology and art or photography is really exciting. And we've not seen that before. Uh, and, you know, there's been, I, I, I know gallerists and, and think about art fairs trying to sell to the tech people. You know, we had photo, uh, Perry Photo LA, it didn't work. Uh, we had, uh, you know, there's fairs in, in San Francisco and they're trying to push to sell to tech people. It doesn't work because it's alien to them. You know, they're interested in something that talks about who they are as people and, and it's technology. If you add art to that, then there's a bridge to have a conversation. There's a common language. Yes. Um, this is so powerful what you're what you're saying. And uh, there's so much to unpack in uh, in that. And I can only touch on just a few things. And I knew this would happen. <laughs> I knew that when we started having a conversation, we could get to a 
maybe a third of everything that you could bring <laughs> bring to the world through. And so I have to ask you, uh, uh, this will probably be edited out, but can we do this in two parts? Will you give yes. us another crack at it? Because it yeah, really yeah. is. I mean, I could rush through and say, tell me about this. Death. I mean, there, there's, I've, there, I mean, literally I've got some notes here and we okay. just have taught, we have just scratched the surface, but in terms of the breadth of what we could talk about. But mm -hmm. what we have done, which I'm thrilled about, is we've gone deep. We've gone deep into this process. And so um, I'm going to unpack a few, just a few of the things that you've brought forward. So, okay. uh, so one of the things that I think is so powerful in your vision and how you and your team at your studio and those other communities that you're that you are have built and are building uh having that deep conceptual goal of live in, in a way it's not unfair to say liberating photography from certain of the anachronistic uh, baggage that photography for 180 years has, has sort of slumped along like a like a donkey burdened with, you know, and, and, you, and it's kind of beautiful and sad to look back through all the different phases of photography. Well, we got to make it look like a painting. It has to be the objectness of a daguerreotype or we have to have a beautiful uh, backdrop. You know, every in every way, photography was always the redheaded stepchild of the visual arts world, always aspiring to be just as good as a painting. Yeah. You know, and, and so that baggage suddenly when you let go of the physicality or at least you say that's not the only thing it can be. Yes. I, and I, I, I also have some prints that I've collected and I love the objects and I never give, you know, I am an object. Uh, so <laughs> I, I love objects. But 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 looking at it through that lens of, wow, this is a moment in the history of the medium when we can connect to new audiences yes. through the technical side of mm -hmm. what an NFT is. We can uh, explore and experiment if we just shed the need for a physical object and say, mm -hmm. well, this can live. And, and that project you just underlined is so beautiful to think about this Magnum photographer who mm -hmm. doesn't, he's not burdened with an editor or a deadline. Mm -hmm. He's just in Ukraine as an artist and a, and a photographer creating that say more about his project say tell us a little bit more about that yeah so it's a it's lorenzo meloni and he started working for for us in obscura uh, obscura is um and it's important to give this background uh while i was philosophizing about the whole nft space uh i i you know, I, I was always talking in Twitter spaces about two big, big phases of photography in the NFT space. One was going to deal with everything that came prior to the technology and every, and then a second phase of doing things that are native NFT photography uh, objects. And uh, Obscura uh, is that. It is the commissioning of photographers to do work where the first iteration of that image is an is as an nft it doesn't live as anything else before it it's published as an nft and then it becomes a print in a book it can become a print on a wall it can do all its other circulations but the premise is what will happen when we're thinking as photographers as creators that our work 
has provenance. It has a start and everybody will know that that's my work because it's on a public ledger, it's on a blockchain, and it states that that's my image and that's the epicenter of the meaning of that image in our world. Mm -hmm. So that's the premise of Obscura. And we're commissioning photographers all over the world to do new work. And Lorenzo was one of uh, eight Magnum photographers. Uh, we partnered with Magnum to do eight commissions uh, and they're out now in the world doing those commissions. And Lorenzo did his first commission with us in, in Afghanistan. And he photographed there for a whole month. Uh, we fund the whole project. Uh, we don't sell NFTs. We sell patronage to photographers. So what people do is they buy season passes so that with those funds, we tell the photographer, what do you want to do? What, what is your dream project? What what are you needing to document freely and we'll support you? So Lorenzo went, you know, we gave him his, the funds. He goes, he documents, he does whatever he wants. He's free to do the work that he wants to do. And then he reports back to us with, uh, the, NF with the images that we make into NFTs and the collectors get the, the proof of work of him going out doing the commission. So basically... It's again, it's not an idea of selling NFTs, but finding a model to help support photographers fulfill their vision as photographers. And this new emergency reporting commission is another version of that. You know, uh, Lorenzo is an amazing photographer, amazing person. He wanted to go document the, the Ukraine conflict. Um, and he doesn't have anyone backing him monetarily. So we brainstormed, he brought up the idea. What if we do, you know, the first, uh, NFT reporting of war. And it's like, oh my God, like, that's an amazing, uh, uh, idea. How do we make it work? And, you know, we put a team together and Magnum came in too, and it, we made a collaboration. It's like, okay, we can have a daily uh, dispatch of his work. And again, the first time that you will see these images are as NFTs and a hundred percent of the proceeds go for him to continue doing the work as free as he can be of, of working and documenting what he wants to document. So it, it, the whole Obscura uh, project is about that. Uh, how do we how do we enable people to keep doing the work that they want to do and not feel the pressure to have to sell NFTs or to have to sell prints or to sell book it, it books? Is it's here's fun here are funds we gather funds from people who want to support artistic visions and we find people to go out and do that work. We as of now, we have around 130 people that we've supported. We've given away more than $800,000 in support for people to do new work uh, that would not have been done otherwise. And that's the beauty of the whole thing. You know, it's it's the power of NFTs to help people do work that they want to do. Well, that is so powerful and such a great. Um, well, first of all, it's a great thing to do. I want to acknowledge that on Magnum's part, on your, on the part of your DAO and, um, and on the part of the uh, Lorenzo, uh, to take that on. And it also, 
and I know this is why you're speaking about it, it shows the flexibility and the open possibilities of harnessing uh, the power of NFTs in ways that you would not have been thinking about this six months ago exactly. as something to do. And yet there it is. It opens up yes. and it cuts through. The other thing that's interesting, most people, including myself, have a pretty static idea of what an NFT is. Well, you you take an image, it becomes an NFT and you sell it to somebody. Yes. But it's far more powerful than that. And in your emergency reporting commission, hat mm -hmm. tip to whoever came up with that name, I, I predict <laughs> I predict that it will stick. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, but it cuts through. It cuts through beautifully. Cuts through traditional distribution systems, pr yeah. pr traditional economic models for photographers, and it suddenly. I mean, Lorenzo's got like the he's got like a dream you can't even call it a gig. He's got like a yeah. dream possibility for the, pa the work that he's, uh, you know, so passionate about he's willing to risk his life to do. Yeah. And he doesn't have to kowtow or otherwise turn himself into a pretzel to be able to afford to do what he's, his calling is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that you hit on a point, if you want to see NFTs as a simplistic, oh, I just created a digital image, give me money for it, then you're missing the whole point. And that's what I'm not interested in. I'm interested in what does it mean for us as practitioners of photography? I've struggled my whole life as a photographer. So I'm looking, what I tell people when, when I've done other interviews is, I've been working my ass off for this particular moment to fix all the things that I could not do before. You know, I, when I came into photography, I thought people are going to be enamored with the projects and I'm going to get this, you know, patron or this mecena that's going to support my work. And it just didn't happen. And it's happening less and less and less in the traditional world. There's a, there's a very thin echelon of people who actually get funding, you know, there's a, you know, a grant for a thousand dollars to do new work and there's 800 submissions for a thousand dollars. That is not right. Something is not right in our, our art system, in our, in our art world. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. We're, we're offering uh, for this, for, we have different tiers of commissions, but some photographers get up to $30,000 to do their work. Some get $10,000, but it should be happening like that. It, sh it, it should not have stopped happening in the real world. And what uh, if, if, if the NFT thing stops, at least we're nodding at the traditional art world. Hey, guys, something's not right. You know, the 50-50 the cut with galleries, something's not right there. In the NFT space, uh, the like the the norm is 20 80 80 for the artist because they're doing the work we're just facilitators um the idea of royalties why are people not making money of their artwork when other people are making hundreds of thousands of dollars reselling their work in auction or to other collectors we need to get a cut of that as artists it's our artwork so yeah. there are things that are being done in the NFT space. I am not, I, NFTs are not the end game for me. They, they're just a moment to rethink 
what the hell have we been doing in photography for these 180 years? And how can we not continue making the mistakes or, or continue thinking in the narrow way that we have been thinking uh, up, up, up to now? So if, if just for that, uh, Bill, I'm content that people are getting the opportunity to think, wait a minute, I've just gone with the flow. I have not rethought what the hell I've been doing. What are the institutions doing with my work? I mean, there, there's, I had a conversation with somebody about museums and I love museums. I used to work in a museum, but everybody gets paid a monthly salary to work in a museum. Yet the artist is the only one and everybody goes to the museum to see the artwork of the artist. And the artist is the only one that doesn't get paid a monthly salary for bringing people to that museum. That just does not make sense. What, like, we are the ones who bring people to the museum and we don't get paid like everybody else. What the hell? Like, <laughs> what? Totally. It what, is, uh, what is that? It's the world standing on its head, right? Yeah. It's upside and, down. And, and I'm not saying let's destroy museums. It's can we rethink this whole thing? Can can we like maybe push a little bit to like give a little bit of balance to artists? Or, right. You know, being an artist is really hard. There's no securities. There's no insurance. There's nothing. You build your own thing. So it's I think it's a little unfair that everybody in the ecosystem of art get salaries, get benefits, and the artists for whom everybody's there for is the last of the of, of the food chain. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Something has to change. The models are broken. And yeah. uh, I think as time has gone on, they've become more uh, uh, suspect. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they won't go away. I mean, no, we know, no. we know, and we don't want them to. We just want some transformation. And I think yeah. you're, you're pointing to NFTs uh, uh, as a timeout to say, let's experiment. Let's see yeah. if some of these models can be reshaped. Exactly. And uh, that's beautiful. Um, Alejandro, you've raised with the Emergency Reporting Commission, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce Obscura Dow. You yes. pronounce it so beautifully. I wish I could say <laughs> it that well. Obscura. <laughs> Obscura. Uh, let's, let's open up that for our audience. Um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I don't think we have to go back and educate them on what a DAO is a mm -hmm. decentralized autonomous, uh, organization, uh, organization. Mm -hmm. uh, but t tell your experience for how that came on your radar mm -hmm. and why you said, Oh yes, this is something I want to be involved in. And then I know you're involved in, in a, in a few of them now, just open that yeah. up for us. So, and DAO started in, or came into my radar, like in April, um, I really didn't re understand what they were about, uh, but I, I kind of got the sensation that it was people getting together with uh, a common ideal. Uh, and that was it. And then after July, uh, I started a, a conversation with uh, Louise DT. He's, uh, he's that collector who bought my first four, five carpoolers. And he immediately started talking to me about creating a photography DAO. And it was like, oh, wow. Okay. Like I, 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 I it sounded cool. I, I thought, okay, this is something that advances all these conversations that I was having with Fernando of 
we need to find an organization to help understand what photography can be in the NFT space. So I thought a DAO, I thought education, I thought investment, I thought collecting, I thought community. That's, and I'm like, okay, I'm all for that. That's going to advance the mission of photography as an NFT. So, you know, we, we, we kept on going with those conversations. Um, uh, both Fernando and I would create these long texts about what we thought the DAO could be, what it could become without doing like, like proper research as to how the DAO would be. We were going in the idealistic uh, realm of, the, of, of creating a DAO. And, you know, sure enough, there is a, there's many more components to doing a DAO. So when it was time to wake up and bring in another 30, 40 people, then I started to understand, oh, oh, I see what a DAO is. It's not just about having a philosophy of what photography can be or collecting. It's about the community. It's getting together and having 40 people with different points of view of what photography is and trying to find a common ground so that we can all work together for something that is photography. And that was a big wake up call for me into what a DAO really is. And that's when I started, um, right at that moment, I started uh, Obscura, that's gonna become Obscura DAO and started creating amazing conversations with my co-founder, Cooper Ray. And he's like a huge advocate of DAOs and, He's like the big, big philosopher behind Obscura DAO and, and is doing the case study right now with Obscura DAO with a team of about 15, 20 people that are all in working groups and guilds, et cetera, et cetera. And he's creating this like a experiment of how photography can become an organization to, again, support and enable photographers work. So a DAO in essence is whatever you want it to be. It can be uh, an organization that gets the, a, a group of people that get together to collect work only. And that could be the only mission to collect NFTs in this case. A DAO can be an organization that puts together photographers into certain places where they have extra um, uh, values and extra uh, um, skills and become part of an organization where they, they can be marketers, they can be pr uh, promoters, they can be speakers, they can be they can be organizers of events, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, it, it can be also that a DAO can also be just, uh, a one-time thing to put together people to support a cause. Um, it, a DAO is literally just an excuse to have a common governance over an idea of, of something. For me, I'm interested in DAOs that have to do with photography. I'm part of the raw DAO, part of Obscura DAO, and part of Untitled DAO. Each have their own mission. Raw DAO is the broadest of all. It, it's about photography at large. It's about emerging photography. It's about NFT photography. It's about traditional photography. Uh, we're more than 400 members. You can imagine what that means. There's a, 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 an acquisition committee. There's um, there's different like guilds inside of the DAO. 
and everybody has responsibilities and everybody has to work to make the DAO work as an organization. Uh, and Raw DAO is the broadest of all. And then Obscura DAO, its mission is enabling the creation of new NFT photography. That's its mission. How do we accomplish that? That's the that's what we talk about every day. How are we going to be able to do that? How are we going to bring funds? How are we going to support the emerging photographer? How are we going to support people in conflict? How are we going to support established photographers? It's really interesting to me to hear you describe the openness of that DAO mm -hmm. uh, and how, because you were already doing that, you were ready to go when Lorenzo and the emergency reporting yeah. commission opportunity came along. You couldn't have created something like that if you hadn't already been plowing exactly. that ground. You already had, you already had ideas, you had yes. relationships, you had an organization, you had a treasury yes you know uh so obscura is is doing that it's creating uh the mechanism to support itself as an organization and a mechanism to support photographers to do their work and uh, as of now uh we're more than two thousand people in in the in the community in the organization wow. itself we're around 20 people that are working and contributing to so so that the organization works uh we we support photographers with commissions uh right now we have eight curated uh commissions uh we have alex soth doing a commission for us we have todd Heido doing a commission for us diana templeton uh christina demidel did an, a commission for us uh ruben wu um and then we have the partnership with Magnum, and we're also doing eight commissions with them. They've already delivered, Alessandra Sanguinetti delivered her commission in Argentina, uh, which, by the way, I, and the experience with Alessandra when she was doing the commission back in December and having conversations with her, you know, one of the things that just, like, fills my heart and, 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 and tells me that we're kind of in the right way Magnum photographer, years of experience, and she tells me, Alejandro, I feel like I'm photographing for the first time. Wow. I feel completely free to do whatever I want. Thank you, thank you for, for that opportunity. I mean, with such a seasoned photographer, for somebody to tell you that, you know, after 20, 30 years of them working, that that really gives me the feeling that, okay, we're on to something that's beautiful and that is really helping people just be free to do whatever they want in, in the photographic sense. Um, we're, we also have a, a foundry commission, which is uh, a mid-career kind of commission for, for five photographers. They can do the project that they want. Uh, it's, it's a smaller amount of funds, but uh, they still can do whatever they want with their project. And then we have uh, the community commission, which is 10 photographers, one common theme. And for, for them, for their commission right now, we have, you know, we have people from their early twenties up to mid thirties, uh, and emerging photographers, not so emerging photographers in the group. They're mentored by Jim Goldberg from Magnum, and they have uh, a month and a half to document, uh, the, the, the story is called two years after the storm the current state of the United States of America. Wow. And they've been documenting and they've been, you know, another thing of why 
NFTs are interesting is that they're not only about selling NFTs. We have a, a like literally an art lab in Obscura DAO. People get together every week and they get crit from me, from two other mentors, Carlos Lore de Mola, Mickey Smith, and Jim Goldberg. They're being assessed by four, you know, by four photographers in what they're doing as a project. So it's not, again, it's not, and NF, NFTs are not just about selling NFTs. They're, they're about how do we enable people to do solid work, thoughtful work, and have critical, you know, uh, 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 conf confrontations about what they're doing, why they're doing it. And our latest project is the biggest commission ever done. It's a hundred photographers, a uh, hundred images each uh, from the five continents, 10,000 images. It's our first Obscura DAO 10K project. And we launched it, we launch it on Sunday. And it's going to be the biggest photography commission ever done in the history of photography. And we have photographers from Africa. We have photographers from Australia, from Asia. Uh, we have photographers in Ukraine, in the US. We have 30 people from Latin America, from Bolivia, Argentina, uh, Brazil, uh, Colombia, Mexico. So this is our biggest, biggest project right now. And it's the biggest effort to onboard non-NFT photographers. So about 70% of all the photographers that were commissioning for that, they have never done an NFT in their life. So this is a big effort to help them come into the NFT space in, in the safest way possible so that they can see if there's a possibility for their work into the future but we help them do everything. We help them mint the work. We have 10 curators working for us that will help them uh, tone down the, the selection to the best 100 images. Um, they're getting paid to do the work. We're creating a, a, a consolidated pool. So everything that sells in secondary market, the royalties that come in, everybody's going to get an even cut of that oh, royalty. That's so, so literally it's a whole generation of a hundred people that are going to live on into the future, receiving funds as a community. Wow. So that is our biggest project right now. And we're like five days from launching it. That's and fantastic. that is what Obscura DAO does. It, it literally, it's finding ways to put opportunities for people to do work and feel rewarded for the work they're doing. That's so powerful and robust, right? I mean, it just across the scope of what that uh, document will mean a hundred years from now, if you just imagine projecting a hundred years forward, yes. it'll be such a snapshot of what this moment in time and what these, these gifted artists uh, were able to create. And yes. also it energizes and empowers the artists to think about their careers in new ways. And yeah. I mean, that, that, that um, this, this discussion just really opens up beautifully uh, the power that you are, you have, you have found mm -hmm. there and that you are growing inside of it. And yeah. um, as you said, so succinctly and well, it's not just, here's my picture. I've made it an NFT, please buy it. Yeah. So, so much more than that. And exactly. It's, it's difficult sometimes for people to slow down and, 
and cut through. There's all the cash grab uh, language and lingo mm -hmm. and uh, elements of it, which is undeniably there in the NFT space. And in the book world. Oh, and sure. In the and in, <laughs> in, in every space, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's human nature. And mm -hmm. what we're trying to do in these conversations, and you, you've been so gracious in l letting this open up, is to say, wait a second, time out. There's lots of things going on here that yeah. are that are really fabulous, and you yeah. need to just slow down and 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 hear some signal, uh, yeah. cut, cut, cutting through the the noise. The um, noise. Yeah, it, it, it you know I understand uh, the skepticism of it all because, uh, sadly, and also it was an opportunity. Everything has two sides. The first iterations of NFTs were not ideal, you know, and people uh, from the art world and from the photography world were like, well, that doesn't mean anything. It's just a shiny object. Why are people paying so much money for that? Right. And so the birth of the momentum of NFTs came with the, you know, the poster child that it's just, you know, not art. And it came with the poster child of, this is, uh, uh, you know, this is it, it, it. It's a cash grab because look at that art. It's not art. They're just making a killing. But I mean, to be fair, there's many sides to that situation. And the people who sold their art might not be in any museum. Yes, that's, you know, that's fair to say. But they did something. You know, yeah, yeah. something was done. <laughs> they, to took be, a, mm -hmm. they took a leap of faith. They risked themselves. They exposed themselves. And that has value. You know, even if we don't like the artwork or whatever you want to call it, that's fair. But just like everything in life, people are going to do the things that they need to do because that's what they believe in. And if we are, if we're being such, you know, we're holding such high standards well, you should also hold a high standard of being human and leaving people do what they want to do, right? Well, yes, and we've also experienced, and I'm a little older than you, I think, maybe a lot older, but I, you know, I remember when there was debate about, well, is Andy Warhol's uh, soup can really art, you know, exactly. and pop artists, and uh, and and the hue and cry when Eggleston's work went up at MoMA, oh my God, yes. color photography, that's not art, and so there's always people wanting to say what what's not art. And sometimes it turns out that, well, maybe it was art after all, you know, <laughs> and that's fair. I, yeah. I, I, I just, you know, I, I would be, uh, I just want to like acknowledge that we're all suspicious of, of NFTs. Mm. That's, that's a good way to be, but what we, we cannot do is be aggressive and be downplaying people's efforts to, figure life out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what people are trying to do. Yeah. Right. Or, that, and I see also hear the criticism sometime. Well, the, the collectors in NFT world don't know what they're doing. And well, that's the, the issue there is not, uh, that they don't know what they're doing. Isn't it great to have new people coming into the space? Let's help them see what exactly. they can be doing. You know? Yeah, exactly. We There's opportunities. And it's kind of like the analogy that I, that I told you when we first talked about the, the, the two sales uh, uh, people that went to a small town and where nobody uses shoes. And, you know, they sell these two sales people sell shoes. And one said, 
I'm getting out of here. Nobody has shoes. There's nothing to do here. And the other one's like, oh, my God, I'm going to make a killing. Nobody <laughs> uses shoes. <laughs> I hadn't know? heard that. It's really great. You know, that that's yeah. that's something yeah. that my dad yeah. told me when I was yeah. a little kid. And yeah. that's my philosophy of yeah. life. Yeah. And that's why I stay yeah. in the periphery yeah. where there's no art, <laughs> but there's so much to do because there's yeah. no art. Yeah. And that's why I stayed in NFTs for now, because there's so much to do. And yeah. it's so exciting yeah. because people, I mean, just, and, and I'll, 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 I won't uh, spill the beans on our second conversations, but the August Sonder project that oh, we did fantastic. at Fellowship is the proof, you know, the proof is in the pudding. If you, if you do it the right way, you can get people excited about the history of photography and what has happened, uh, you know, almost a hundred years ago. And, yes. and, and again, let's talk about well, it. In we our will, second we part. will, in our second part, we are yeah. going to really start off with the fellowship because that's yeah. what more than anything. And I've been opening up to it and, and, uh, you know, you, you tend to not like what you don't understand and you tend mm -hmm. to like what you really do understand yeah. better and uh we're all learning in the space and i love that about it that even someone uh you can become a, a pioneer in six months you know <laughs> uh, and uh no the fellowship trust what was accomplished by you and 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 fernando and and kim and darius himes and everyone who was part of that and, yeah. and certainly Jul julian zonder um the creativity behind that and as a lover, uh, a longtime lover of uh, what uh, uh, August Zonder accomplished with his life and with his photography, seeing that have a new a new life in so many ways. And, and you know, Mama bought the 600 uh, yeah. beautiful um, portraits and they did symposia around it. And mm -hmm. so it's not like uh, but this is a new uh, this is a new phase for that work and it yeah. lifts up his work in ways that that hasn't been done before. Exactly. And I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. And I want to thank you as we as we wrap up here. I just want to thank you for because I know how busy you are with so many things for educating and uh, being uh, such a uh, I, I would say inspiring leader for the medium uh and uh and in particular as it enters this new phase you don't always there's an old saying you no good deed goes unpunished and i'm sure you absorb some body blows as you continue to move forward with this and i just want to thank you not just for the conversation today but thank you for your leadership in in the medium that we love and in and in and in the world well thank you i mean I, I've done nothing, and I, I want to acknowledge that if you think that I am a pioneer, there were people doing stuff before I was doing, and they are other, you know, the first pioneers, and I'm just building on top of them. And I'm just trying to be as truthful to my practice and the way that I see photography, uh, and I hope it resonates with people. Um, I'm not interested in forcing anybody to to think of NFTs as the end game for their work. Uh, this is an opportunity to see a third iteration of our work and consolidate what photography has been doing in the internet for the past 30 years into something that is real for us as photographers. We, you know, photographers, writers, designers, we all fell asleep in the bandwagon of value in the internet. 
Mm. We, we were told, oh, we're going to put your name uh, on the post and that's going to bring, you know, revenue or going to bring business to you. And we all got like scammed with that. Mm. And the music industry, the video industry, everybody saw and foresaw we need to have ownership in the Internet or else we're going to go out of business. And now I think this is the first iteration of, hey, the Internet is a real place. Things circulate there. We need to find a way to put value to that circulation and to take ownership of our work in the Internet. So beautiful. Beautiful. Let's, let's, let's think of that. Let's <laughs> chew on that a little bit. Yes, that's a deep that is a deep thought and something yeah. that we can uh, that we can bring uh, into our communities and into our lives in a way yeah. that will will not only impact uh, the, the photographers, but all of culture, all of yeah. society. Yeah, yeah. It is a powerful thing to have Lorenzo right now in Ukraine mm -hmm. uh, expressing what he's seeing and making that available to the world in a yes. new way. So yes. thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And look forward to our next talk. Yes. Thanks, Alejandro. Take Adieu. care. Yep. Thank Adieu. you. Yep. Well, that's a wrap, everybody. Thanks to Alejandro Cartagena and to you for tuning in. Part two of this will be coming up in the week ahead. We want to um, encourage you, if you're enjoying learning, go to our show notes. Uh, they'll be up on Fall Line Press's uh, website. You can link to them there and extend what you are learning here. And uh, we also, of course, have Twitter and Instagram accounts. And if you want a really deep dive, I write essays at Patient Letters, which is uh, on a Substack and on a Twitter feed. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next uh, time for part two.